All right, today we're talking about building a business, the next level lending, treating your financing like a chess match. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So sure, hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. Um, you know what? Here it's Monday morning, actually, recording this very early Monday morning in the old home studio here. Just uh, let my dog out. Uh, don't want to have any barking. So guys, I hope you had yourself a wonderful weekend. You know, if you are listening to this on a Tuesday, typically well, that's when most of my podcast episodes come out. So I'm just saying, I just, let me slow down here a bit. I just want to, first of all, just slow down. And I just wanted to thank you. I wanted to share some, just some good old-fashioned Canadian heartfelt gratitude of everybody who has listened to the podcast, everybody who has subscribed. Every week, the podcast numbers and download just keep growing. And I'm just, it warms my heart to hear feedback when I hear something like, for example, somebody was telling me that, you know what, I got so much out of that last episode. I listened to it three times. I had to dive into it like three, four times, or even I get the odd ever so often is, yeah, Russell, I go to bed listening to you at night. Okay, a little too personal, but I'm honored and I'm grateful and I'm thank you for that. Heck, my wife doesn't even sleep sometimes listening to me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm joking, obviously. What I'm just wanted to just guys do is just give you a big giant heart, heartfelt thank you for spending your time. I take it very seriously about earning the right to have the opportunity to be in your podcast rotation, earning the right to deliver amazing content, earning the right to deliver value. So speaking of all that, you are going to love today's episode. Today, I have a great honor of having a conversation with Dahlia Barsoom. Now, if any of you um, are in the Canadian real estate space, and maybe you've been following a lot on a lot of other people's podcasts, you've probably have heard the name Dahlia Barsoom. She's a fantastic resource, a fantastic wealth of information and knowledge on how she um, helps investors out. She's, she does things the right way. She helps educate people. Uh, she helps taking a longer-term approach. She treats this very intentional as opposed to transactional. And that's the one thing I really love about Dahlia, about how she operates her business. But on this episode, what we did was we, we went a couple layers deeper. As you know, when you're listening listening to my podcast, one of the things I like to share is a little bit more of the behind the scenes person than just, you know, the how to tactical in for step by step details, which you will get. But I also want to know a little bit more about the person. I want to know a little bit more about their upbringing. I want to know a little bit more about what makes them tick. Why do they do what they do. So that's, in this episode, that's no different than one of the key intentions I've had right from the very beginning is the sharing a deeper level story with everybody here as well. So you're going to get a lot out of this one. Even if you've heard Dolly before, even if you've maybe have heard myself before, I'm actually going on a process right now of interviewing a few mortgage lenders, a few other financial experts to help you get financing. So because one of the key things you will find on my podcast and through some of my core training is the biggest obstacles that people will face in order to 
Build a Portfolio Real Estate is the TEAM acronym, Time, Education, Attitude, Money, and Lack of Team. So those are the biggest obstacles. So think about it for a second. If you actually have a really good mortgage broker that goes out and develops all the wonderful relationships for you with multiple different banks, and they've and they've pioneered a process to help you get that to get financing for your properties, you are now saving an awful lot of time. You're being educated by an expert in the industry. They have the right attitude, which will just keep pushing you forward. And the last one is money, right? They're helping you find, you know, three quarters, you know, of the money, 80% of the money to buy the property. And they're a key team member. So it makes good sense if I keep building out my podcast resources to help you get the financing, keep introducing you to wonderful resources, keep introducing you to wonderful team members. Now, in this one, we go deep into a couple things. We talk a lot about investing and building a business, investing in the people. And the two parts that really resonated for me, I'm not going to share that. I'm actually going to, at the end, I'll let you know the two parts that really resonated with me the most after you've listened to this and you've taken the notes for yourself. So guys, with all that being said, let's please welcome Dahlia Barsu. Dahlia, how are you? Welcome to the podcast here today. Thank you, Russell. I'm great. How are you? Oh, well, hopefully much better this time. So I'm going to do a cardinal sin. I'm going to give everybody a little behind the scenes. So Dolly and I were just cranking away for like 12 minutes here and just dropping all the gold nuggets. And we were getting like all the good stuff out of the way. And I'm sitting there and I go, oh, my goodness, I feel like such a rookie. I forgot to hit the record button. So, <laughs> so Dolly, I confirm 100%. I see the little red light and it's going recording 45, 46, 47. So I actually hit the button this time. So <laughs> Awesome. Let's go. Well, and that's actually one of the things I tell people sometimes if you get a little bit freaked out about um, technology and a little freaked out about all the technology. I actually hope people have some technology snafus because it, you start laughing and you just relax and you get into the conversation a little bit more. And it's just a little more, you have a little bit more fun after maybe a little bit of a goof up, if you will. Right. And I've mastered the every goof up possible. So the first and first and foremost, I'm gonna, I have an entire list of amazing questions that I'm going to dive into here today. And I'm going to hit you with one of the hardest questions right off the bat. I'm going to stump you and I'm going to try and stump you here, Dahlia. Here's the first question is, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great today. And I know that sounds like cliche, but I'm truly feeling great today. Everything is wonderful in your world. What's the weather like out, uh, out your neck of the woods? So where are you right now? Where are you sitting at this very moment? Well, I live in Woodbridge, which is half an hour north of Toronto. And uh, the weather is pleasant today. It's a little bit breezy and uh, there was a little bit of sun this morning. And yeah, it, it's beautiful. I was actually out for lunch with a client earlier. So it was a lovely day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy. And you're, we're recording this at the end of your day, kind of the middle of mine. And um, I know you are a really busy person. So I just wanted to just acknowledge and thank you for taking time out of your busy day. You're helping clients move forward with velocity. You're helping people with the financing blueprints, which we'll get into towards the end of this conversation. Um, but give me a picture of what a typical day in, in your life looks like. What does it look like when, you know, when you get up and you go to, you know, go into the office. Give me a, give us a snapshot of what it looks like as a, an owner, principal owner of a, a mortgage company. What does it look like? 
So if you had asked me this question uh, a year ago, my answer would have been different than today. It would have been different, you know, five years ago, um, because over time I have become more conscious of how I manage my day. Uh, so I am at a point where I am happy with how I manage my day. There is always room for improvement, but here is how it currently looks like. I um, spend Sundays um, planning my week, blocking things on my calendar that I know I want to spend time on. And generally, every day starts with waking up at about 5 to 5.30, and then I exercise from 6 to about 7 o'clock, get the kids ready for school, have my breakfast, read a book, plan my day, do a little bit of meditation. Then I kickstart my day by working on what I consider the critical things for the business or critical things personally. And then my day has client consultations, team meetings, client meetings, strategic initiatives. And um, I go until about five or six and then I take a walk. And um, then I spend some of my evening with the kids before I get into my bedtime routine. Great answer to, uh, I thought, a simple question, but uh, you, it sounds like you have, you've guys, we've just been, we've just been schooled on, on what a, a very high performing person does on a day here. And you just uh, walked us through with what you do. And that's fantastic. So sounds like you're a very disciplined, very structured person. I am. Yes. I like to um, have clarity around how I do things before I do them most of the time. And I mean, as much as you try to get to a perfection, it's for me, it's more about progress, but progress within the boundaries of planning to move things forward faster is how I would word it. So um, how many how many children do you have? I am a proud mother of two beautiful uh, boys, 14 and 10 years old. 14 and 10. Wow. That's, uh, that's a handful plus also managing all the people at you know the team and growing your business and scaling and growing on a national basis and being on podcasts and YouTube channels and you know writing articles and research reports and whew, I'm I'm getting tired just talking about half the things you do on a daily basis. Russell, uh, believe me, I have uh, you know I'm part of a village here. I can't take credit for it all. I mean, I have an incredible team at the brokerage. Uh, I have an amazing husband, amazing support from my family. So I can't do it all as much as I am the face of the business. And everyone sees that it's Dahlia doing this and doing this. If Without the army that's helping me behind the scene, I, I can't do it all. Yeah. And I, I know quite a few of the people on your team and you're, you're building yourself out an amazing team. If you get a chance to say hello to Andrew for me, one of your, your right hand person there, uh, he, he's, uh, you, you've, you've landed a really sharp cookie, <laughs> to be honest there. Yes, Andrew is amazing. So, okay, well, let's dive into a little bit of the background. So the name Dahlia, and I know this because one of our home builders um, built some models, the Jasmine, the Dahlia, the uh, things, and it's, it's, main, it's from a name from a flower, and a beautiful flower at that. Uh, but the last name of Barsoom, um, what's, the, what's the background? Where, where are you originally from? So I'm originally from Egypt. Um, I was born in Egypt, but I didn't live in Egypt. My parents left Egypt really, really early on to live in the Gulf region. We actually lived in Kuwait 
which is this tiny dot on the map uh, next to uh, Saudi Arabia and Dubai. And that's where I spent most of my life up until about 18 or 19 years old before I moved to Canada. What brought you to Canada? What was the what was the reason behind coming to Canada? It obviously wasn't for the all this the hot, sunny, suntanning weather and, and stuff like that, obviously. <laughs> it's for the beautiful three months of summer. That's why That's we right. <laughs> July, August, and September are really beautiful yes. months. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that's the reason. Really, my parents uh, saw a better future for us. I have two sisters, and uh, my parents saw a better future for us here, especially opportunities for women, a growing economy, diversity, you name it. I mean, if we had stayed in the Middle East, uh, yes, I would have probably carved a place for myself, but you deal with different challenges living in the Middle East as a woman compared to uh, living in North America, in particularly Canada. So they saw a b- better future for us and for their for their grandkids, and uh, that was the best decision they've ever made. So where did you did you land in the GTA area? Yes, yeah, we landed in the, in the GTA. We landed uh, initially in uh, Mississauga. Okay. Now I live in Woodbridge, which is about half an hour north of Toronto. So at what time of year did you land in the first first experience? We landed in the fall. During oh, okay, the fall. wasn't wasn't too bad. So it wasn't like a February minus four hundred oh, degrees. No. Yeah. No, we heard the stories about the Canadian winter before coming here, and we made sure we don't arrive in the winter. So we arrived in the fall, and uh, I remember, you know, driving around and seeing all of the fall colors and just being fascinated, even by the fact that there are squirrels running around. <laughs> so. And that was memorable for me. So obviously, when you land at the Pearson International, you, you get off the airplane, and the Mounties there, and with the hat and the the full red thing, they hand you they hand you a Tim Hortons, they hand you some maple syrup, and they hand you a welcome to Canada. What what was your first experience, and uh, when you first came here, and um, was it a challenge to come here, or just I always like to I always like to get the inside scoop on someone who immigrated to Canada on what it was like coming here. It was a mix of emotions. I would say it was excitement mixed with a lot of fear because my parents had rewarding careers uh, in the medical field back home. They had their stable checks coming in, and um, we could have easily lived you know, a good life coming here was meant starting from scratch for everybody, especially for my parents. So it was scary and uh, at the same time exciting. So I, this is how I would describe it, describe it. But the minute we landed in the airport, it was very emotional and exciting at the same time. And what was interesting, I remember this, is that the officer said hello to my dog. We actually brought our dog with us overseas and nobody in the Middle East even noticed the dog while here they welcomed us very warmly including the dog and we're like what <laughs> okay <laughs> this is something dahlia you weren't in kansas even anymore the dog, even yeah. the dog is recognized here <laughs> you weren't in kansas anymore right exactly well that was huge um have you ever had um is mom and dad still with you in, in part of your life and in, in that Yes, yes, they are. Have you ever had some conversations about the sacrifice that they've had to make in order to, I would imagine they did it for family reasons to give you and your sister a a better life. Have you ever had any deep conversations with them about that sacrifice that they had to make? Or was it a sacrifice? Maybe it was just something that you, it was just what you needed to do as a family. 
it was a sacrifice in the sense that they had to start from scratch. I mean, as medical professionals, yes, they had the experience, they had the certifications from overseas, but in order to actually resume working in the field here, they had to get back to school. They had to study all over again, write their exams, and also partially learn, elevate their language because there, there was some language barrier. So uh, for them, that was work and pulling the plug from one place and having to reestablish themselves here. So yes, we always remember that and um, we're grateful. And I, I would imagine that's probably shaped an awful lot of how you look at building your business, how you look at raising your children, how you look at your family is what mom and dad did. And you learned a very valuable lesson at age 18, 19. This is what a family does for what's best for their family. 100%. Oh, well. Definitely that that had a big influence on how I think and go about doing things. Well, that's, thank you very much. So, so um, you know, I, I mentioned in take one of our fake recording session, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan and we haven't had a lot of chance to really interact quite a bit other than, say, the last, you know, month or so. And we've been having some conversations leading up to booking this time and working on a few, you know, potentially strategic alliances and, you know, working on bringing out your blueprint to a larger audience, things like that. But I'll tell you what, I've just been a fan. I've been a fan of the work you do. I've been a fan about the business you're building. I'm even more of a fan now about how you show up as a mother and how you show up as a daughter and what the the family, what your family sacrificed to make it and to come here. So I'm even more of a fan than that. So as you can say, I'm 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 a little bit gushing. I'm a little bit of a fanboy here right now, Dahlia. Russell, thank you. I'm humbled by your comments, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So anything standout or a pivotal moment in your kind of your upbringing that and feel free to share whatever you want was there kind of like a pivotal moment for you within within you know whether it's schooling or university or whatever in your journey that kind of started you and leaded you into leaded that's kind of a, that's a really bad word led you into the whole wonderful world of real estate investing and 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 lately into uh, in lending and financing I really started to develop a passion for real estate investing after moving to Canada. That wasn't on my mind when I was living in the Middle East, uh, because uh, when I was living in the Middle East, I was still really trying to figure out what I want to focus on and what I want to do. In fact, I originally started in computer science. I was a programmer uh, and a database administrator. And gradually, I started to get interested on the business side and finance and wealth and shifted gears over the years. So until I moved to Canada, I did not really notice real estate. But when I got into Canada um, and started working for the banks, I became more aware of the importance of wealth management, finance, all of that, got you know more familiar with investment options, and then started to really explore what's out there and started to, like anyone else who started in real estate, picked up the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book at the time. And uh, of course, that I couldn't put that book down. And that's what got me really obsessed with his, this whole topic about real estate investing, for lack of better words. I would bet if they put all the people in one room that kind of 
let rich dad poor dad is kind of the starting seed for most things that the inception moment for most people that would probably feel like a couple football stadiums or or that is it's 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 amazing everybody how that's kind of their first start to that and i've been listening actually to some robert kiyosaki works again and He's he's an interesting guy. He if you ever get a chance to hear some of his stuff now, it's like he's out there in his opinions and good for him. You know, he's earned it. But that little purple book started a lot of people's journeys down down this road of real estate investing. Yeah. Very so true. when when would you have read the book? When did you start into down that path? I started reading that book around 2003, 2004. And that was the start of it. And then I got involved in various investment groups, starting eating and breathing more books, and eventually made my first move into buying a small townhouse in uh, Barrie, which I still own today. And I bought that house around 2007. Very good. So have you built out a portfolio from that, or are you just mainly focused on, your, on the lending side of things now? Or is it both? Both. I have a portfolio of investment properties. I'm mainly invested in Barrie and I do have investments in Vaughn. I actually got into Vaughn before Vaughn Mills was built. This whole area was a green land around Wonderland. And uh, yeah, we were, I would love to say, you know, I took calculated risk and knew what I was doing at the time and planned it all out and, you know, no, but that wasn't the case. I kind of saw the fact that this area was growing, heard about a subway coming up, heard about a mall coming up. The prices made sense. And that's when we got into Vaughn. So I'm in Barry and Vaughn from a real estate investment portfolio. And I do supplement my investment portfolio, of course, with private lending because that's the business that I'm in. Well, I'm just about sitting here and going, if you're in Barry and Vaughn, high five. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, I, let's put it this way. I remember when we used to do bus trips with the Real Estate Investment Network and we went through Vaughn. This was, geez, this would have been dec- a decade plus ago. And we were showing people, here's what Vaughn is. And everybody's going, oh, man, it's so expensive. I wouldn't want to invest in Vaughn ever and all that kind of stuff. And if somebody, if we had a conversation with somebody who bought 10 years ago in Vaughn, <laughs> It would be, you know, it's life-changing capital at that time of if you bought and, you know, still own it to this day in that area. The growth has been incredible in Vaughn. And Russell, by the way, I was on one of your bus tours. You wouldn't remember me, but I was. I was one of the people who listened to you very closely on these bus tours. Well, I, I guess I didn't offend you or dissuade you enough to, uh, you, you went ahead and did it anyways, and congratulations, you're reaping the rewards from it. And it sounds like you've parlayed some of that into then private lending, into building other businesses, developing people and helping of, of all that along the way. So that's fantastic. I really enjoyed that backstory here. So what I want to talk about is, um, so it sounded like you started in the banking world, like a traditional banking role. Talk me through that phase, which let's talk about, you know, Dahlia getting into the corporate banking world up to when you started, you know, getting to mortgages and then starting maybe originating your own mortgages. Yeah. So I started in uh, banking around 2000 and I um, started as a programmer because my background was in computer science and accounting. Over the years, I moved within the banking sector 
and got fabulous exposure to various lines of businesses, including wealth management, personal and commercial banking, lending, credit cards, strategy, technology, and it was phenomenal. And I spent about 15 years in the corporate world. And I really had a rewarding career and I was climbing the corporate ladder, but I got to a point where I was not happy. I was not satisfied with where I was because I felt that I could do a lot better on my own. I could have bigger impact personally for myself and my family and others by owning a business that I can deliver value through and also control over my time. And that's when I left. I left in 2011. Which bank was that? And if you don't feel comfortable saying that, just tell us a color, if you will. <laughs> Do I have to disclose the color? I'm the teasing bank? you. <laughs> it's, either, it's either green or red or blue or has some gold in it. So you can guess. Okay, it was one of those. <laughs> one of those. So what, but at the same time, it gave you the opportunity to get to diversify into many different disciplines within that whole realm. And what appealed to you about starting your own mortgage broker, brokerage? Really? Or, sorry, let me back up. Let me ask a better question. Did you start a mortgage brokerage right out of that? Or did you maybe start working for somebody and then working your way up? To, just fill in the story a little bit there. Yeah, I didn't start my business right from the get-go. I basically stepped out of the corporate world and joined the industry as a mortgage agent. Then I became a mortgage broker. And I didn't have a book of business at the time or connections. I really had to find a good mentor to assist me, which I'm grateful for, and uh, navigate the space. Because yes, as much as I had investment properties, and as much as I had a deep financial background, you're still stepping into a new industry. And that's how I started. And then gradually, I built up my reputation. People started to, the, you know, investors started to see value in what we offer. They started to rave about what they were getting, and it started to grow from there. And then I started gradually building the team and uh, owning my own shop. Right. So, if you don't mind asking, who who is the person that mentored you along the way? So um, her name is Enza Venuto. Enza is a very respectful figure in the mortgage industry. And uh, she really took me under her wing when I first stepped into the mortgage space. She helped me understand what this industry is about. She helped me understand that it's the name that you built is all you have the importance of service. And she was the one to actually show me hope in continuing to work hard and see, you know, my vision come to fruition. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And yeah, that was a big part of how I got started. Okay. So when you did get started, so obviously you were a one person, were you a one person show at the time when you first, first oh, yeah. started? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do I was doing it all myself. Everything. Yeah. Do you remember the first loan you originated? Do you remember the address? Well, yes, I actually took a copy of the first check that I got from a mortgage transaction at the time. It was $7,000. I remember the number. And it was a deal in Timmins, Ontario. Wow. Stepping out there. Yeah. It was a deal from Timmins, Ontario. So I do remember that very well. So how long, how long did you kind of were the, the one person operator for that time? How long did you kind of do that before you started adding some people to your team? 
So I would say for the first three years, I was a one-person shop. And then I gradually started to add people. I added an assistant and then started to groom advisors who use my methodology for financing investment properties because I did come up with a methodology on how to finance investment properties to scale up a portfolio and get the best cost of capital. So after I got an assistant, I started to find advisors who want to come on board and train using that methodology. And from there, I grew up, grew my team of advisors. So now I have a team of 12 in the brokerage with six senior advisors who follow what we call the financing roadmap methodology. Okay. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook without talking about that methodology. You just you just open the door and I need to stick my big foot in there and, and <laughs> find out how we do it. But but to, for just for some context for everybody, if you don't mind, how many mortgages do you approximately originate in a year now? Ballpark number. Uh, so we are now ranked the number one brokerage in small markets across Canada um, as ranked by CMP. That was, uh, we ranked in 2020. And um, that translates into about $300 million worth of annual mortgage volume and about 500 and something transactions a year. Wow. And I have a feeling that's just the tip of the iceberg of what you want to accomplish, is it not? Yes, there is a lot coming through to the market. So from that first deal you originated in Timmins, Ontario, that you got paid a $7,000 check for, to now $300 million in transactions and $500 a year, is that, is that, does that start, does it feel a little surreal? to you about uh, about someone you start talking about that like I know you've got the Canadian humble gene you've you've been you've been given that as living in Canada but do you feel a little um it's a little surreal that something you've built literally from from the ground up doing one deal at a time I'm very proud I'm very proud of where um street is at this point in time definitely uh because it doesn't only take hard work to build a business but it takes adding value to for the market to reward your efforts, I believe. So seeing the growth definitely warms my heart because it does enforce the fact that we are doing something right for clients. Well, you should definitely feel proud of, of that accomplishment and... Um... And here's the funniest thing, and I joke about the Canadian humble gene, but you have multiple times when I've talked about you and your success, you've talked about the village and the team and the people and the, the clients, you, you've deflected it to the other people, you know, which is a sign of a very good leader. And um, you can just see that coming through. And I can see why you've attracted some of the best talent around is because you are very good at your leadership abilities. Was that something that you, you, you trained or was it just something that was inside of you or uh, what's some insight into your leadership style? I have definitely learned a lot working for the banks. This is, this, this is one of the things I am very grateful for being in the corporate world. The banks invested in people. Uh, in fact, I did my MBA in finance working for the bank and they did support that development. And there was a lot of spend on leadership, team collaboration, uh, innovation. So I learned a lot through that journey. But really what I've learned 
what taught me the most, I would say, is working with people and learning through some mistakes that I've personally done. I did manage people in the bank. Obviously, I have a team that I'm managing. And, and I can't say that, you know, I have a team of gold right now. They're top talent. They are from different areas of Canada. They're not all from Ontario. And working with people and managing a team taught me how to go about doing things and where to improve personally and what to change to make sure that I support my team's growth. So yes, the banks taught me. I did textbook stuff, read about a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's practicing and and making mistakes, I would say, that got me to change certain things and be more aware of how I handle things. Now, what would have been some of the biggest challenges you faced, or sorry, challenges you had to overcome to get to the point where you're at now? I mean, right from the get-go, leaving the bank where you had a stable paycheck and telling your family that you are going to now open up a business on your own or become self-employed was big news. Because um, in the culture I grew up in, a successful person goes to school does goes to university, studies one of few things on a list, a predetermined list that the society appreciates, like being a doctor, being a lawyer, being an engineer, being a, you know, just predetermined society defined success metrics. So in the culture I grew up in, you grow up, you go to university, you got to make sure you hit one of these categories. And here goes, this kickstarts your life. You grow in your job. You climb the corporate ladder. This is how you grow your income. You now have a great stable job. And that is the biggest proud moment for your parents when you get to that point. So here I come telling my parents that I'm going to quit working with the banks. And at that point, I was um, at a senior position. So that was a big challenge to to overcome because there was a lot of uh, resistance to this idea at the time. So that was the first of the challenges. Wow. Um, so you're telling me living up to and trying to fill up, fulfill upon other people's standards is not gender specific. It's not cultural specific. It is something that most people will, will bump up against is living up to other people's expectations, living up to other people's what their standards are, you know, feeling that you're going to disappoint mom and dad, you know, those kind of things. Those are, that's universal across the human experience. Yes, 100%. So that was a challenge. And I just had to listen to my gut. And I felt very, very, very strongly about making this move, which I did. And I'm very happy I did. So that was one of the biggest challenges initially. And then when I started into this business, I started with no book of business, with no connections, as much as I had deep finance experience, deep banking experience, and I owned investments myself. Again, I was stepping into an industry that is very crowded. The mortgage industry is a crowded space. And I wouldn't say there are a lot of women in the mortgage space, although the presence of women has improved significantly over the years. So that was the next challenge. Like, how am I going to earn my way in? I had to earn my way in. I had to build my name and I had to figure out how to navigate this network of very complex rules, specifically for rental properties. It's a very complex 
space. You know, it's different from financing your first home or a second home or a first home. It's there are so many rules behind the scenes. So that was the next challenge. And thankfully, with the guidance of my mentor at the time, combined with taking doing everything I can to learn how to navigate, that did help me uh, overcome that hurdle. Yeah, if if you don't mind me, I, I wouldn't mind going down this avenue for just one second. You know, being a woman in a fairly male-dominated industry, um, did you, now that you, you had two, you probably, there's two perspectives. One is when you first got in, and now that you've been into it for a while and you can look back, did you find that it was, you know, it, it actually was a, a bit of a, do you find that it was like your superpower that you were different than everybody else? Or did you find that it was a little bit of a, a hindrance? Or did you find that you just had to work harder than everybody? Give me some perspective, because I, I don't have the perspective of being a woman getting into a primary, into a male-dominated industry. So coming from a woman, now that you can maybe reflect back on it, how do you find it in that process has been for you? Yeah, Russell, I never, be- I never believed in the fact that women were at a disadvantage. I've never, ever believed women were coming from a place of disadvantage in anything, despite the fact that I dealt with discrimination in the Middle East. I've always appreciated the different perspective that men had. And I actually tried to, I recognize that there are some powers that I had as a woman, but also recognize that there are things that I could learn from uh, my uh, men colleagues in the industry and to make myself more rounded. And that's how I've gone about it. So I didn't feel I am at a disadvantage. I just felt that I had something that maybe others didn't have. But hey, you know, it's there is always something to learn. And my men colleagues had other talents that I was able to observe and learn through. Yeah, great answer. And I love I love your perspective. And my entire line of asking that is not I, I I'm a firm believer that we need to judge not you know, judge is a harsh word, but you know, let's be real. We do judge things. And I think we need to judge people's based on the ability to do the work and get the job done and, and that. And whether they're male or, or female is irrelevant, to be honest. Let's just judge them based upon who they are, how they show up, and their ability to get the job done. Exactly. That's exactly it. But it is, it, it is like in some cases, in some, you know, like I, I was talking with somebody and they were saying is when they walked into a, a room, you know, they were the only female in a room full of men. And it, it actually took a while for her to be able to get some confidence to be able to to do that because it, it is very real in having that that when you walk into a room and you're nobody else is like you in that room, it does it, it is it is a little unnerving at times, isn't it? Yes, but what I try to do is I try to focus more on others who are around me and what actually matters to them versus what matters to me. And I find that that approach helps me, you know, navigate better and have better conversations overall. It's it's really, it's as simple as that. I love the take on it. And and that's why I, I asked the question is because here's the thing is I, I don't know because I'm obviously I'm not a, a woman, so I can't tell from the perspective of a woman to that. So the only way sometimes you can find out is by just asking the question and getting other people's perspective. So, so good. Love it. Love it. Okay. So let's transition a little bit here in the conversation to um, a couple things. So I, I, I do want to get your take a little bit on the mortgage industry. 
uh, from your perspective on what you see happening out there. And I definitely want to talk about your methodology that you've dropped and hinted a few times there as well. And then we also want to have a conversation about how maybe people can take advantage of of an opportunity of you putting together roadmaps for them and things like that. So does that sound like a good plan? Sounds like a plan. Okay, so let's talk about the financing industry from a standpoint for real estate investors and the products and things like that that real estate investors are getting into. What changes have you seen over, say, the last, say, decade within the industry of working with investors almost exclusively and full-time? Well, the industry goes through transitions, I find. There are times where things tighten up and there are times where things become looser. So it's like a pendulum, right? That's, that swings. So when COVID hit, for example, everybody tightened up, especially on rental properties. Why? Because from a bank standpoint, they see it as a higher risk. Whether or not we see it the same way, doesn't matter. We can argue over this with the banks, but the banks see rental properties in general as higher risk compared to an owner-occupied because it's not the roof above our heads. So there are times where they tighten up the rules and there are times where they ease up the, their guidelines. The, where we're sitting right now is that they've actually eased up since the start of COVID. But if we look at the rules compared to 15 years ago or 20 years ago, they have definitely tightened up because gone are the days where someone could buy a rental property with less than 20% down. Gone are the days where amortizations used to get up to 40 years on rental properties or 30-something years on rental properties. So definitely lenders are managing the risk by asking us to put more, by tightening the time over which they get their money back. So looking many, many years ago, the, indi- the industry have tightened up the guidelines. But compared to where we were you know, when COVID hit, I would say they started to ease up again. And there is an abundance of uh, products and options for real estate investors. Doesn't mean that the process is easy. The process is more difficult because there is a lot more paperwork involved. There are a lot of more rules to work with, but the options are there just working in my view, with the right broker who understands how to navigate the space. So I'm pleased to see how banks are, for example, some banks recently added up line of credit, advanceable line of credit options to rental properties that were not there before. That's a feature. Some banks are start, you know, started to use a little bit more of the rental income where initially they weren't. That, in my view, that's a feature. So I'm finding that the banks are starting to get a better grasp on rental properties over time. And there are definitely options, better options for investors now. Yeah, I would imagine over the course of the last, you know, eight to 10 years, you know, I know, I remember, and I'm probably going to get the stats wrong, but I remember a stat a while ago quoted by Peter Kinch was saying that about only about 4% of mortgages originated were rental property types, right? So trying to get the bank's attention when it's that small book of business. But I would imagine that number is each year has slowly grown to probably a significant number. Would you have any insight on approximately how many, what percentage out of a hundred mortgages would be on a an investment type property. Do you have even a ballpark idea? What percentage of the book uh, of yeah, the bank? What percent uh, out of out of a hundred mortgages originated? What percentage ballpark number would you think would be an investment mortgage? I, I would say it's less. It's less than twenty percent. Yeah, 
so less than 20, but but still significantly more than four, what it was, you know, yes. say 10, 15 yeah. years ago, right? Of course. Yes, absolutely. So now they're they're paying a little bit more attention. If let's say if it's even let's just for to make up a number, let's say it's 15%. 15% of a book of business is actually something that they need to put a little bit of time and attention to and not have it as an afterthought, if you will. Right? Yeah. So now some banks are actually coming out with some specific rental property lending products, I would imagine. Is that would that be a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. And there are banks that are also coming back into what we call the broker channel that had initially pulled out of the broker channel. For those who don't know what that means, banks originate mortgages through different channels. Some have branches, some don't have branches, some work with brokers, some don't work with brokers. And we're seeing banks come back to the broker channel, which is great news because that offers access to more options for clients. So that's that's a positive trend. And it's not just one bank. More than one bank are coming back to the broker channel. Well, that's good. Let's let's hope they let's hope that trend continues. That they're seeing the value that the mortgage broker brings the to the business. Because there was a time there, and I I'm not in your industry, so I can probably say this. Not you. You probably would say it anyways, but it'd probably over a glass of wine and off the record. But there were certain banks at the time where a mortgage broker would put all the time and effort and work into it, and then all of a sudden they the bank would they would send you off to go sign at that bank, and that bank would try and poach you while you're in there to try to be to get the next mortgage to them, and then all of a sudden the bank would contact the client directly after that and yeah. under and undercut the industry. Like that's you know I can yeah. say that because I'm not in the industry. <laughs> right. Yes, that that I, I can relate to, and I've seen happen from time to time. Yeah, but but it's nice to know that the appetite is starting to come back in with banks and seeing the value of the mortgage broker and the what they bring to the transaction. And I would imagine a cl- not every mortgage broker and every client is the same. I imagine when you package up a client and present it to a bank, you know, it's with a nice pretty bow on it and there's all the documents and all the ducks are in a row and they're going, all right, streetwise mortgage application here. This is an easy one because you guys did all the work for them. Well, that's key, right? Because at the end of the day, we have to think like the bank. Yes, we're representing the client, but my role is to Think like a bank on behalf of the client and package their deal so that it's as attractive as possible to the bank. And when that happens, the bank loves it and that builds credibility. They approve the application. So it becomes a domino effect. Yep. Now, I know the first response to this next question is going to be it depends, but I'm just going to I'm going to ask the question anyways, because I always like asking this question of a good qualified mortgage professional that's in this every day like you're like this way when i'm doing mortgages or i need a mortgage you know even on a busy year i'm doing 20 30 or 40 at the most give or take let's say but you're in it every day and you're doing 500 of them um right now and we're talking 2021 later 2021 who's one of the friendlier banks that are lending out there right now it depends oh good answer <laughs> 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 but is there okay. one one that goes that you just would sit there and go the team's going you know what we're having really good success with 
X bank or with this lender or this, because I know it's flavor of the month and some banks, you know, quote unquote, run out of, not run out of money, but they run out of their their risk profile with a certain type of mortgages. And some actually have new money that came in that just came due that they're okay to place it. So just trying to get a flavor of who's friendly at the moment. Okay. So let me define the world friendly first, because that's going to put things into context as to why I'm going to mention the names I'm going to mention. Friendly for me, and we actually use this term, an investor-friendly lender. What's an investor-friendly lender? An investor-friendly lender is not a lender that gives the lowest interest rate on a rental property. In my view, an investor-friendly lender is a lender that offers the right product, has more lenient guidelines for approving rental properties, and offers reasonable rates, okay, or reasonable cost of capital. So I like the options as in terms of early options that I would exhaust before, you know, going into other options. I like to exhaust the options with the lenders who allow a rental property with 20% down, not higher, who offer 30-year amortization, not a shorter amortization because these two things help your cash flow. Um, they offer a product with a secured line of credit, which I am a big uh, fan of for investors for many, many reasons. And not just a line of credit, but a line of credit that grows as you pay down the mortgage on your investment property. So that gives us flexibility, gives us a buffer as investors as we pay down the mortgage to recycle capital to grow or to um, cover expenses that may come up. So from a product feature, that's my first, first filter. From a rental property lending guidelines, I like the lenders that are open to using opinions of market rent versus having to see a lease in place. So if an investor is buying a property and they are taking vacant possession, or let's say their current property has a vacancy because they are in the uh, process of churning tenants. I like to go to the lenders that will say, okay, no problem. We don't have a lease, no problem. Let's get an appraiser's opinion of what this property would rent for. Or if the investor is renting the unit below market rents and we need to help the numbers and we know they can fetch another three, $400 on that unit if, they, if that tenant leaves, but they can't, I like to go to the lenders that say, no problem. I will use that extra rent if the appraiser says it's gonna rent for more. So that gives us options. I also like the lenders that use what's called a higher rental offset. So what percentage of the rental income are they using? If you as an investor is renting a property for $2,000, that $2,000 is not what the lender is going to work with. Some lenders are going to use 50% of it. Some lenders are going to use 75%. Some will use 80%. So uh, I like the, the lenders that have higher offset is what we call it. So with that as a context, okay, with that as a context, I like to fund deals with the following lenders, Scotiabank, CIBC. CIBC is not part of the broker channel, okay, but I am a big believer that if the client is best serviced by a lender on the street, then working with us, I will tell the client, go to this lender because that's best for your portfolio, even though that bank does not have a relationship with a mortgage broker. So I know CIBC has favorable rules for rental properties. Scotiabank has favorable rules. 
RBC has favorable rules. They have some restrictions, but overall, from a product flexibility, they do have these rules. And then there are some other smaller, not smaller lenders, but other lenders like National Bank of Canada. They actually fund larger portfolios, although they don't offer lines of credit. So I would say amongst these four, there are a lot of options to start with for real estate investors and to grow potentially to, you know, 10, 12 properties at least. Wow. Hang on a sec here. Woo. You've been bringing the fire there, Dahlia. That's uh, that's some that's a, a very good non-answer answer, but you actually did even name some. So so with, with all that being said, we got to drop a bomb here, by the way. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. So so guys, here's the message I really want to share with you, to be honest, is what you just got schooled on is the reason why you need to have a mortgage broker on your team and not go directly to the bank. Because if you went directly to your favorite bank, and let's say you just went to CABC and CABC is going, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll lend you a pro- on a property, no problem, your friendly neighborhood bank, they'll lend on it to you. But they're, they're just, you just have one option. You're not playing the game of chess here. You're not strategically placing the right mortgages in the right in the right order that you wouldn't paint yourself into a corner for future financing. And then all of a sudden, after the one bank says, no, we can't do anymore, then you come talk to Dahlia and Dahlia go, why did you come talk to me first? We would have placed this one here and this one here, this one here. Then we would have went to CABC. Then we would come back and then we'd go to the blue one over here and we'd get you 14 mortgages, but you only got five now, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it, Russell. So is in essence that I just do a, a poor job of describing your blueprint of what you kind of do for clients? No, you've described it perfectly. Well, before we do go there, I would be remiss not to ask the question, the following question. Prediction on interest rates. If you were to dust off a crystal ball, and I'm not going to hold you to it, I'm not going to clip this little piece of this interview off and play it to you seven years from now. What what's your take on what inter- are happening with interest rates, both what you believe shorter term and also medium term? I'm not going to go long term because all bets are off. But what's your what's your take on interest rates at the moment? I believe variable rates are going to remain low for quite some time. I probably, we're not going to see any increases until the Bank of Canada gets confidence back in the economy. And that's at least 2023, late 2023, before we start to see any increases. I, I And even if there is an increase, these increases will be gradual because a lot of people have taken on debt during covid and a lot of businesses also have taken on debt. So the, the Bank of Canada needs to be comfortable and needs to be careful about how fast they change prime if they need to change prime so they don't shock the economy. Um, so I believe interest rates on the variable rate side will remain low for quite some time until such stability surfaces before we start to see some gradual increases. Fixed rates will also remain relatively low. I mean, money is so, so cheap right now. Even if rates increase, the money is so cheap, both on the variable and fixed rate sides of things. But I think fixed rates will see a gradual, a gradual increase because it's they're tied more to the bond yield. But within this, the bigger scheme of things, they will continue to be relatively low. 
for investors in general, I am a fan of variable rates, not fixed rates. Uh, but again, every individual situation is different. And the reason I suggest variable rates for investors is because unless someone can't sleep at night and they're going to freak out about every announcement and have nightmares, variable rates give investors flexibility. Investors are looking to grow to, you know, by recycling capitals. And that's been the biggest fuel for a lot of investors over the year, given how the markets performed, right? So tapping into equity. If you have a variable rate that allows you to access equity in an easier fashion, because if you're locked into a fixed rate mortgage and for whatever reason, you don't qualify with the lender that you arranged the mortgage with, or that lender decides to change their guidelines and no longer doing these types of deals or your finances change. Now you have to switch to somebody else and pay a huge penalty. So that's where variable rate gives investors a lot more flexibility. Having said that, um, I always also suggest that a component of the portfolio is locked to help the investors hedge. So again, it varies from one individual to another. Which property do you lock in? Which property do you keep variable is a function of how the portfolio looks and how the investor, where the investor comfort level is and what their future plans look like. Yeah, it's it's a you know, thank you for for putting clarity to round a, one of those it depends answers again. Um, you know, and it does come down to risk profile, like, and, and a wise person once told me is, yes, everybody's different with risk profile. Some people on Saturdays will knit and some people will go skydiving, right? So yeah. everybody has a completely different risk profile, right? But you hit the nail on the head of the one big consideration typically is the one thing that you have to consider is the length of the hold and how nimble and how much more access. And if you're sitting there and you're going, you're going to set it and forget it for a long time and you know you're not going to refinance and all you're going to do is going to maybe just renew, then a fixed might be a good solution for you. But I would say for most real estate investors, if you are in growing and scaling mode, you should be in variable mortgages just for that flexibility and access to capital. Right. 100%. Nice. Nice. 100%. Okay. So let's get into this um, roadmap that you've talked that we've danced around a little bit here. So let's say I'm a, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's can, let's do a little role playing here for a second. So I'm a, I'm a new investor. And if, if we're role playing, can I, can I have hair? Can I have like long, <laughs> can I have like Fabio hair? Like, you know, like the guy on the, on the, Harley Quinn romance novels, right? I'll have big Fabio hair when I'm 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 coming into your office and I've the hair I got I got a wind machine with me flowing the locks. Yes, exactly yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, so. we can both do this. <laughs> and I and I'm coming into your office and I'm 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 wanting to do one of these blueprint um, things that I've heard on a, on a podcast, and I've been listening to this this bald guy, this Russell guy. I don't know who he is because I'm got long flowing hair. I'm Fabio. And um, I've been hearing about this blueprint thing that he was talking about on his uh, podcast. So what's the process? What do I need? Is there something I need to provide you in advance? Like what, what, how do we work on this or what do I need to do as an investor to help you do your job? Okay. I'll answer this question. I, I know you're still looking at my flowing yeah. rocks and everything. It's I like, so, <laughs> like, you know, I can't focus now looking at all of this beautiful hair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so everybody who's listening and watching this Dahlia are going, oh God, Russell's trying to be funny again. And I know my wife right now, she's already rolling her eyes. I can hear her eye rolls from another room. So 
<laughs> oh, good. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to make a joke out of a serious situation here. <laughs> oh, we need to laugh. We always there is always a place for jokes. I'm going to ask you a question about how we work with investors and documents and all of that, but I just wanted to quickly uh, clarify what a financing roadmap is because the term may not be uh, familiar to some investors. So. The financing roadmap is really an exclusive methodology that I have developed over the years, and I've trained my advisors in uh, delivering this methodology uh, when they work with clients who are looking to invest in real estate and looking to grow their portfolio. Essentially, what it does is we're combining planning with mortgage financing. Okay, that's really what it boils down to planning combined with mortgage financing. And we really help investors plan and structure capital that they need to acquire multiple properties over time. So through this process, we're giving them crystal clear clarity on several things, which everyone has to think about early on and as they grow. This should not be an afterthought. So what do we cover in a financing roadmap discussion and and through the methodology? Well, we talk about where is the money going to come from to grow our portfolio? Which sources of capital make sense to actually use first? Do you use equity? Do you use savings? Do you use other people's money? Do you use hard money? When to use these tools at what point in time? What do the investors need to know, for example, and to do to maximize their borrowing power so that their applications look best for the lenders? And most importantly, how are we going to structure the deals? Not just the next deal, It's the next set of deals. So if you're looking to buy five properties, how are we going to plan these five properties? What does, who's going to be on title? Where's the money going to come from? Uh, What do we need to do to actually make sure this deal is going to fit with a lender at the best terms, given your strategy? And what terms can you expect for that mortgage? And what loan to value, meaning what down payment? So we are going beyond just giving the client a quote about Here's your rate and here is your qualification amount. This is what the financing roadmap methodology does. It goes way beyond that and it combines forward-looking advice with mortgage financing for real estate investors. Wow, that sounds like a pretty comprehensive process. And as you were talking, I made a note here is we need to do a training video on how using other people's money works with getting financing at the same time, too. So there needs to be that's an entire other conversation that you and I can have on that. Yeah, that's a full day of talking. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so Fabio again here is so I, I've got it and I go everything you just said, Dahlia, I love it. It makes sense to know the next five to plus steps. I want to know that before I take my first step. Fantastic. Love it. Um, I'm in. What do you need from me for doc- documentation or or do I still need a little more education before I go for the documents? You know, basically for every client that works with us, we uh, typically start with a call to get to know each other, learn about what their plans look like, get an idea of their high-level finances, and then we follow up with the list of documents that we need. And we have a process around how we gather these documents. We use secured systems, nothing that goes through emails. And um, some investors say, Dahlia, I hate the paperwork. I hate the documents. I don't want to go through all of this stuff. And I, the answer to this question is really, really simple. If you really, really want something, you will do what it takes to get it done. So do you really want it? 
or you just you're just talking about it. because if you're really serious about investing in real estate and you growing you have to look at this like a business and if you're running a business you have to follow certain things that you may not necessarily love to do that you know will build your foundational success block. So this is paperwork when it comes to mortgage financing for investment properties. There is a lot of paperwork involved. We ask for a lot of documents up front for a reason, because guess what? Sooner or later, we're going to deal with these documents. So we better deal with these documents early on. And we then leave nothing to surprise. Okay. It's one thing for a client to tell me I'm making $100,000. And it's another thing for me to look at documents the way lenders look at documents and say, yeah, you make $100,000 as a self-employed client, but you have a bunch of expenses, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, this is the number the lender is going to use. It's no longer $100,000. So the paperwork, guys, helps us all mitigate risk. And this way, when you hit the ground running, you know what to expect. You know, there will be no surprises and we gather it up front. Once we gather it, we then set up a planning session for every client. And that planning session is where we talk about the financing roadmap and cover everything that I mentioned earlier for every client. And once they get crystal clear clarity, they then go hit the ground running and implement, implement, implement. Once they hit the target, let's say three properties or five properties, we reconnect again and plan their new financing roadmap for the next round. Through the implementation, as they buy things, we're here to hold hands. As clients put offers on properties, they send us questions, say, Dahlia, I'm putting an offer on this property. Can you read the MLS for me? Do you think this, this property is okay for the lender? How much down payment? Like We're here to support investors through the implementation. It's not, it's not a one-time transaction. It's, it's a journey. And we love being part of investor success journeys. Yeah. So it's it's more of a collaboration as opposed to a transaction in, in essence. Now, here, here's a here's a frame that I'm going to give everybody for with I 100% agree with everything you just said. It's going to take a lot of time and effort and work and pulling together these pieces of paper. You're going to hate life and you're going to say, I've got the worst filing system in the world. And it's going to take way too many hours for you to do it. But let me give a perspective for you. So let's say you're buying an $800,000 duplex property out in Ontario, and the bank's going to give you $600,000 of the eight. Is that, that's 80%. Hopefully my math is correct. So 600. And let's say it takes you 12 hours to pull it all together. Is that not $50,000 an hour that the bank will give you that you, that's not your money, it's the bank's money in essence. And you get to have a control of an asset where the $800,000 that you get the return on and you get the income and you get the business from it. So is it worth for you to invest 12 hours of your time in order to get $600,000 of mortgages? The answer is yes. All right. <laughs> love, love that philosophy. Yeah. Well, and I, or I was going to about to use the philosophy about as Fabio, my hair just doesn't naturally look, I have to condition it, which takes a lot of time and, and effort. So, so, you know, if you want the results, sometimes you have to put the work in, right? That's right. All right. So with one of these blueprints, um, how would somebody, if somebody is interested in getting one of those, how would somebody be able to, to um, take advantage of one of those opportunities to, to get a roadmap consultation with you? 
simply on our website, on the landing page, there is a contact us form. They can just quickly fill it in and request a planning session. And that's one way of doing it. The other way is emailing us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Perfect. So I highly encourage, and, and there's no cost to this, this there process? There is no cost. Yeah, there is. We do not charge any upfront fees. We do not charge a fee for advice. We get compensated when the mortgage closes on success. Yeah, well, obviously, you're you're interested in wanting to do business with a client. But if you sit there and you put a roadmap in place for somebody, for Fabio, to go and get five to seven mortgages, naturally, I want to go to you because you've got a plan as opposed to my friend down at CABC who can only maybe get me two or three, right? Yes. Plus, you also you also hand out and give people this really cool research report of some top places to invest in Ontario as well. Talk to me about that as well. I was summing through that. You gave me a copy of one of them, and I go, "Holy moly! This is this is something people would actually pay money for." Yes, we actually uh, work with a very reputable researcher uh, on an annual basis who looks at the markets that are poised for growth across Ontario based on the economic fundamentals. And then she layers onto that the filter of which markets make sense for investors from a cash flow standpoint. So we've identified 18 markets and we have a summary report of what these 18 markets are. This summary report is complementary for every client that we work who we work with. But for clients who invest the time to go through a planning session with us, If we see, for example, that they're invested in Hamilton, we would happily share what we call a deep dive report on that market. Or if they want to get into a particular market and we have the research for it, we would share that research with them. So uh, we, we pride ourselves in that knowledge because it's also important for us as advisors to know what's happening in the investment markets in order for us to add value to the conversation. You know, what trends for what, what's happening beyond just, you know, again, quoting an investor, a mortgage rate and a mortgage amount. Yeah. And I've, like I said, I've thumbed through a few of these reports and they're really, really good stuff. And and I'm going to, Dahlia, I'm going to let you in a little secret. Are you for, open for a little secret? I love secrets. There are other markets other than Ontario in Canada. I know, I know. That's our secret, though, okay? I know. <laughs> I'm teasing. We're going to get there, Russell. <laughs> I'm, which is actually a perfect segue into my next question I want to ask you is, what is next? What's next for you? So you you came to Canada from the Middle East when you were... Um, you know, I was joking that you were like nine when you came, when you came over and, and then uh, you've climbed the corporate ladder in the banking world. You started with that one deal in Timmins, Ontario, and now you're doing like 500 transact or 500 mortgage originations per year. What's the next mountain that you're climbing? There is a lot more that we're looking to offer to the investment community. And I'm actually about to launch an exciting complement to what we do in the mortgage business to the real estate investment market. We're actually about to launch a sister company of Streetwise Mortgages called Streetwise Wealth. And this company is the first of its kind in Canada because what it does, it integrates comprehensive financial planning with real estate investing. So I'm basically taking a lot of the things that I've learned in wealth management and the banking space and now combining it with real estate investing. And essentially, we're helping Canadians develop 
customized plans using real estate as a core asset to replace their income or build a pension or enhance cash flow. So that's the next exciting opportunity that um, we're bringing to the market. And it's a supplement to what we also do on the mortgage side for real estate investors. So I had a little smirk on my face and I was just thinking to myself, so nothing major, no big undertaking at all or anything like that, right? Just snap your fingers in execution mode, right? That's, that's huge. That's huge, yeah. Talia. That is. Yeah, it has been in the works for over four years now. And from everything you've told me of everything you've handled up to this point and everything from where you started to where you are now, I see nothing stopping you from getting that done. I really don't. It's just like, and I know you don't need my endorsement or you don't need my rah-rah, siskumba cheerleading for it. But I just, from what I've known about you and what I've seen about you and what I've heard about you is it's a done deal in my opinion. So, so an early congratulations. Thank you very much. Your comments mean a lot to me. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very excited to bring this to uh, the Canadian market. And uh, again, it is a value add for real estate investors. So happy to serve and and happy to to offer that to real estate investors to help to help them grow. Nice. Well, well, if there's anything I can do to help along with that um, initiative, by all means, you have my email and you have my phone number. And by all means, if if we need to, I think there's going to be a few more of these episodes that we're going to do and maybe some other deeper trainings or something like that. If there's something I can do to help get the message out, by all means, I'd be happy to help you out with that. Absolutely. We can have a detailed discussion about that. And and so one of the last questions I usually like to leave. So one of my, my core values in my life is to inspire, encourage, and come from a place of love. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. Um, one of my favorite questions that I like to have people at the end is, so let's say somebody is sitting here and they're listening to this and maybe they've hit the wall. You know, they feel they've hit a wall of financing. They can't get any more mortgages and they just feel that they're just stuck and they're just, they just need a little bit of inspiration on what the next step in the process is to get unstuck. What would you offer to that person as just something for in some inspi- inspiration to help them take the next step forward? I always believe that there are options. There is always a way. There is always a way. It may not be the easiest way, but there is always a way. It just takes effort and digging to find what it is. And when investors come to us and say, oh, I hit the wall. My first question is, based on what? Based on what? Oh, I talked to my banker and he said they can't do any more mortgages for me. Here's the thing. Talk to your banker who works for one bank who offers a defined set of products based on a defined set of their own rules only. You did not talk to everyone on the street. So how do you know that you hit the wall with everyone? You hit the wall with that one bank or these two banks. And therefore, when I hear this statement, I nod and I go, okay, let us take a look for you. And many, many, many times, we were able to get people to purchase multiple properties because there are options beyond these tunnels that clients think are everything that can be offered to them. So I would say there are options, dig deeper, and there is a solution. may not be the easiest one, but there is always a solution. (laughs) I love these ones. (laughs) 
Wow, how good was that? Nice. And and it's funny, I, I often joke, I, I, I have the same kind of a conversation with people as when somebody says, well, I can't get any more mortgages. And I said, based upon who told you. And I and then I, I go back to them, I say, okay, after you've gone to this person and this person and this person, you've gone to like 10 different people. And if all 10 people tell you the exact same story, I'll believe you. But until you've done that, is you there is always an option. It's just you have to figure it out. It, you know, you have to just lean into the work and there is something out there that you can do. And even if that isn't working with all the traditional reds and oranges and red, greens and blue and banks, there's that whole world of private lending that's out there, too, which is another conversation you and I can have for another day as well. Yes. On that note, Russell, of options, this is what we do for clients. We The client doesn't have to go and knock on everybody's door and figure out if they're going to work with them. If this is the work that we do, we know who thinks what, who offers what, how do they like to see things, and we can shop the market the right way, not by throwing applications all over the place and hope they stick. It's by really knowing our stuff and knowing at a very deep level what works and what doesn't, and then package the deal to fit it with the right lender. Yep, yep. And that's one of the questions, and this could be an entire other conversation train that we'll go down to on another one, another episode is um, why do real estate investors feel they have to do everything themselves? They feel they have to go find all the properties. They feel they have to property manage everything. They have to then go shop all the lenders. They have to go get the the multiple contractors. They have to get all these. They feel they have to do every minuscule detail of the process as opposed to finding the expert to do the work, to do the bookkeeping, to do the accounting, to do the taxes, to do the financing, to go find the properties, do the property manager. This is a team game, guys. You do not have to do every single detailed step in this, but you have to have a team of people that can do every single detailed step. So I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) You know, Russell, on that point, real estate investors are self-starters. They love the game. They love building the business. And like any business, when we start a business, we love doing everything in that business. We love doing the detailed Excel spreadsheets. We love doing this. We love doing that. But to your point, the more they utilize and lean on the right people for support and advice, the more growth they will experience because then they can focus on time and energy on the right things versus on the minutiae of doing things and not necessarily doing it the right way sometimes. I absolutely hear you, which is, sounds like another podcast episode in the works. <laughs> <laughs> it almost needs to be as one as how do you, there's one a book that's out right now that I recommend all the time and all my coaching clients, one of the first things I recommend to them, it's called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And if people actually just implemented Who Not How in their business a little bit more, they might enjoy it a little bit more. And they will probably grow a lot faster and they will be more fulfilled because they get the fulfillment of elevating other people people into roles that they were meant to do, that they just love doing, that they would just shine and they would be fulfilled in their purpose of what they're doing. And that's 
to be honest, that's the next evolution of most people's business is development of talent and development of people in order to scale and grow from there. So that's a, that's the next conversation. Dahlia, where is the best place that people can get a hold of you if they're interested in having a conversation or a next level? Where do you hang out? Do you hang out on social media, where websites, all that fun stuff? I am reachable at info at streetwisemortgages.com or um, my YouTube channel, which is called the Streetwise Property Pulse, where I post videos on a regular basis about financing. I personally respond to comments on that, that channel. So either way, you can get hold of me. Wow. You know what? There's also going to be another episode is how to do it all. <laughs> and I think you'd be perfect to lead that conversation is how do you fit it all in? And and now you're going to go home and you're going to, you know, have a wonderful night with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing everything you shared today. But I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation about getting to know you a little bit better on a little bit deeper level and coming and where you came from and what you're building and creating out here. So I just want to thank you for all that. Thank you, Russell. I did thoroughly enjoy our conversation as well today. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. All right, gang. So that's it for this episode. Stay tuned. More episodes are coming up. Bye for now, everybody. So what did you think about today's episode? Isn't Dahlia just a a wonderful, wonderful wealth of knowledge, wealth of information and wealth of inspiration? So Dahlia, I hope you get a chance or you and your team get a chance to listen to this. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You are truly a treasure in the Canadian real estate investing community and this space. You're a treasure that we need to to get to uh, help you build your team a little bit more so you can actually go on a national basis. Because I know I joked in the podcast, Dahlia, is there is provinces outside of Ontario. I know I know it's hard to believe. It 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 truly is hard to believe that at the border, you know, past Thunder Bay, you know, going west, there still is a lot of country out there as well. So obviously guys, you know I'm joking. So Dalia, once again wanted to thank you. So here's the thing guys. What was your key takeaway from today's episode? What were some of your most insightful um, insights that you got from today's podcast? I hope you've taken lots of notes. For me, the three big things for me that I've wrote down was number one was the way you structure your financing, being intentional on how you put the right lenders in the right place will help you be able to qualify for more financing as opposed to paint yourself into a corner. So that's number one is the structure and the order that you do your financing matters. Number two is having that big time savings. If you actually work with a good qualified mortgage broker who their job is to go out and build those relationships with the banks, the lenders, think about it for a second. A good mortgage broker only gets compensated for finding new capital. They only get paid by getting a deal done. So they have a vested interest to fight for you to get you a transaction, to get you the mortgage financing. Okay, so that's the next thing is the big time savings by working with a good mortgage broker. And even though you may pay a little bit more in funding, you may pay just a touch more. Your terms might be, uh, you know, I mean, the interest rate might be just a little bit more, but I think it's quite worth it. Like, seriously. What's your time worth for you to go out and build all those relationships with all those banks and they're just going to cap you out after about three or four where you can have one mortgage broker that potentially can get you after eight, 10, 12, 14 mortgages. 
So that is point number two. And then the third one is, I loved Dahlia's answer towards the end of the episode about if you have a roadblock. If you have a roadblock, what do you do about that? After you've had multiple conversations with many different people, so many people believe, rightfully or wrongfully, that they are capped out at a certain number. And I honestly believe, I'm on the record of saying the following, is how to elevate and take your game up to the next level is to meet new people or to learn a new skill set. So in this case here, we're introducing you to a wonderful person, a wonderful team to help you get financing. Now guys, if you've been following along my podcast uh, or towards the end of this interview as well, Dolly and I talked about that free research report that she has. So gang, if you just head on over to info at streetwisemortgages.com, you can get access to that uh, research report and also fill out the questionnaire and get done, you know, maybe get a roadmap built out for you that Dolly and I talked about there as well. And then make sure when you when you do that, just hit up the, I think they have a little button on there is where did you hear this? Hit up and say that you listened to this interview on the Russell Westcott podcast would be greatly appreciated. Okay, gang, um, one more final thing before I run off here as well is stay tuned in a couple of the upcoming um, episodes and a couple of the upcoming interviews and a couple of the upcoming in-depth training. We're going to be talking about building your influence. We're going to be talking about attention generating strategies. How do you build out your YouTube channel? How do you build out a podcast, your social media? How do you get eyeballs onto your business about what you're doing. And I have a really cool upcoming program that's soon to be launched in beta format. And for there's going to be a group of early adopters of people that want to go through the process is I'll teach you how to become a real estate influencer. This is for somebody that has already probably got your strategy dialed in. Maybe you know your strategy. Maybe you know your area. Maybe you have the real estate tactics really dialed in about what you're doing, but you're just struggling and you're struggling for, I have the greatest opportunities in the world, but nobody knows about it. I have the greatest ideas about real estate. Nobody knows about it. This is going to help solve and eradicate the, I have a great idea or I have a great investment opportunity, but nobody knows about it. You are no longer going to be the best kept secret in real estate after I'm done with you. All right. So stay tuned. More of that's to come. All right, gang. Sure. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. So much more to come. I am just so loving the process here. This is just, I just love the creative process of putting together a podcast. You know, as I have jokingly said many times is yes, I do have a face for podcasting. Okay, gang, as you know, how we end off every one of these podcasts, we end them the same way. Remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.